0: Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 54, General Clausel. We have a special guest joining us for the second time. My good friend Charles McKay is on
1: the line with us. Say hello, Charles. Hey, how's it going, John? Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for joining us. You were fantastic on our last episode uh, where we talked about the great uh General, as you know. And, yeah, great well, in his own great mind.
1: Great might be. Uh, the interesting General Junot, how about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, that's a better word
0: for the unique <laughs> General know. Indeed. Um, but Charles um, has a popular Twitter handle. It's called Bubbles the Vampire. If you want to go on Twitter, he has a big following. He's also an undergrad uh, from Ar- for the University of Arkansas and a grad from Florida State University for the Institute of French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Studies. Did I get it all right? You got it all right. All righty who are we going to talk about today? I know we have a, a number of generals that we're discussing to go over, but who are we going to start with today?
1: I think we're starting with uh, uh, Bertrand Clausel, are we not? That is right.
0: Yeah, Bertrand right. Clausel. very famous general, was born in December 1772 in the county of Foix, southern France. What do we know of his background? Do you have a, uh, a noble birth or a nice upbringing? Do we you know a lot about this man?
1: um we don't know as much about him as say some of the the marshals per se we're right. obviously delving deeper into to some of the other folks uh, but he did have a good education and um he came for a prosperous uh, middle-class family we we're going to discuss
0: clause l today because he he had a pretty diverse background and he fought on a lot of different fronts correct
1: yeah he really did he was um He was all over, although primarily uh, sort of Iberia, southern France, uh, that part of the world. Got it. Got it. Okay.
0: Well, he started his military career as a volunteer in the National Guard in 1789. And he becomes officer in 1791 as a lieutenant in an infantry division. And by the following year, he worked his way up to captain in the Chasseurs à Cheval. Was it easy or easier to get promoted during the french revolution
1: yeah absolutely um you know you hear military folks talk about battlefield promotions and they were pretty quick in this day and age especially as folks you know ran through the the junior ranks and you know some of the folks that had had as enlisted people before the revolution you know found themselves as generals uh, in uh, within two years time after toiling away and, you know, for eight or 10 years to try and make sergeant, yeah. uh, this was not unique of the French army. This was unique. And I think it's, it's not, I mean, this is just what happens in wartime. You have so much of a need for leadership that, uh, right. competent people, um, you know, uh, rise up to the top. And one of the unique things that the revolution gave France was that, a lot of the constrictions of who can be an officer were lifted. So you didn't have to show noble birth. You didn't have to show how many parts of your family uh, were noble. You didn't have to go through the hassle of trying to buy nobility to get a a command. Um, All those were stripped away through the revolution. So you get lots of people who would have been blocked previously from becoming officers who who can rise, uh, quickly or in wartime, obviously, even people who were ennobled could rise quickly, uh, you know, with their, with their skills and no better example of that than Napoleon himself.
0: Yeah. And I often wondered like if that was one of the reasons why the French army performed so well, you know, they were promoted on merit versus birthright.
1: Well, I, I think that was certainly true initially, I think towards the end of the empire, um, you know, a lot of the other nations had sort of caught up and, mm-hmm. and while they still might be restricted in terms of, you know, needing some nobility to get into the officer corps they had so many folks that had enough experience at that point that even talented and qualified, you know, nobles were coming to the rank a- and maybe the reverse was true of France. They'd been at war for so long that there'd been so much fatigue among the officer class. And I think by the end of the, the empire, the first empire, um the, the leadership, which had been, you know, predominantly in favor of France throughout most of the war starts to starts to even out. Got it. Got it. OK.
0: Well, getting back to our protagonist, uh, Clausel in 1793 is promoted again to major and serves under the future Marshal Perignon and eventually becoming his chief of staff a year later, which is pretty good for a 22 year old.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, absolutely.
0: Yeah. He distinguishes himself several times in battle. And brought several enemy flags from Spain back to Paris to present them to the new government. Why was that such a big honor? I know I've, I've read about Napoleon sending Marmont and some of his other uh, aide-de-camps back with flags. Why was that a big deal?
1: And, and Juno, perhaps, yep, uh, yep. which in fact happened during the first Italian campaign. So usually that was a mark of honor. You know, you're delivering good news to the government. And of course, the government is going to um, shower rewards on the person that's gotten to, to, you know, deliver these flags. So not only you know intangible things like a ball that that you know where you might be a guest of honor but typically if they're promotions that need to be finalized those are often done while the person is up there presenting the the awards and banners and things so lots of times if there have been battlefield promotions they're confirmed Or many times the government can just uh, confer a a promotion at that point. So it's a great way to advance a career. And, of course, you get to rub some elbows with, you know, some more important people. Broaden your network for future networking, which is never a bad thing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And
0: uh, um, kind of along those lines, uh, he's transferred to the war in the Pyrenees against Spain, I think, during the first coalition. Mm -hmm. And he, he becomes a general of Brigade. Uh, which again, he performs well. And in 1798, he serves as chief of staff under future Marshal Grouchy. And this seems to be common at the time with men like uh, Colin Cord and Marbeau serving under multiple marshals, correct?
1: Yeah, and and we talked a little before the recording about how many of the marshals, in fact, had experiences uh, under uh, as chiefs of staff. And I think that might be an interesting uh, avenue for, you know, some research. I might uh, <laughs> get <laughs> offline here and figure out how many of the marshals had a background in, as as uh, chiefs of staff at some point in their life. Uh, and I think would be that's, an
0: important, that's an important role, right? I mean, to, yeah, to be absolutely. chief of
1: staff. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And becoming more so important uh, during the Napoleonic period where permanent staffs, uh, were becoming more of a thing. Um, usually, armies in the campaign in the 18th century, when there was need for one, there would be an ad hoc, uh, you know, a staff put together. But starting with the the French during the Revolution, and then spreading to the rest of the armies, that these staffs became permanent. And you know, these armies had to rely. If you're trying to get 60, 70, hundred thousand or more people to a battlefield, that's a logistic. Uh, that's quite a logistic endeavor. Yeah, uh, and especially if you're trying to campaign, as we'll, we'll find out uh, for for uh, uh, Clauzel in the peninsula, uh, you know, resources are so scarce that it, it takes an awful lot of planning to move troops to make sure you have enough ovens for the for bread. You got to find wheat. You got to find fodder for the animals and
0: uniforms, animals, yeah.
1: uniforms, boots, yeah. siege guns. Uh, if if you know, the siege warfare was such an important part of the peninsula and trying to to find enough guns of a sufficient caliber to to affect breaches um it's all a logistical it's all a a real logistical challenge Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and you know marshal vertier was obviously the uh, the model and and all the marshals had their own chief of staffs underneath them so yeah a very interesting role that clausel held there absolutely so he serves however things are going well but he serves in disastrous Italian campaigns of 1798 and 1799, where Superoff and the Russians handed the French generals several defeats while Napoleon was away in
1: Egypt. Yeah.
0: What happened there?
1: Uh well the French just got outclassed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean that's the that's the easiest way to say it. Superoff was uh obviously a military genius uh, mm-hmm. of the age um i've heard many argue on the same level uh, as napoleon himself mm-hmm. um and the french just got totally outclassed in 1798 and 1799 and it wasn't because they had bad people clausel did a fine job it's just that they got uh, they got just uh, you know, I don't know if else you want me to say it. They got their asses handed to him by, <laughs> by yeah. a really, really qualified and talented Russian general.
0: Right. And I think Subarov doesn't get enough credit. I mean, he does in the Russian side. I mean, the guy was practically undefeated, but, you know, his his men really fought hard for him and that
1: he believed in efficiency of movement. He was a quick mover, just like. Yep, Napoleon absolutely. Yeah. I think the only thing that really doomed that campaign ultimately was. Um, the the Austrians and the Russians uh, were working at cross purposes and mm-hmm. the Austrians were more concerned with what was going on in the Rhine than necessarily holding those passes in Switzerland, which are so critical passing between Northern Italy and uh, the Rhine and where Subroff was operating in Northern Italy. Uh, the Austrians didn't lend him the support that, that he really needed to, to really threaten the French uh, long-term and, And the French ended up ultimately prevailing, but it was more, I think, uh, I think we can lay lay the blame more squarely at the door of the Austrians, who just didn't have a great strategy. Right, right.
0: Well, um, obviously, Napoleon returns from Egypt and becomes first council in 1799. And in 1802, Clausel is sent to be part of the ill-fated campaign to try to reconquer the French colony of Haiti which
1: does not go well does it no no not at all um in fact france's uh, commanding general Leclerc, uh ends up who who was a uh, uh, married relation to napoleon uh ends up dying from uh malaria just like <laughs> the bulk of the of the of the french force there i, I think what's probably most remarkable about clauseel's service in haiti is that he survived yeah um, yeah I mean, that's pretty amazing that he survived uh, intact and even, uh, you know, as he's trying to get back, he's got that shipwreck off the coast of Florida, uh, 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 makes his way to New York to get back. So uh, it's a scrappy, it's a scrappy dude with some uh, impressive abilities to, (laughs) to survive. I think that's the most remarkable thing about that part of that expedition
0: yeah one, one bonus from it. he was promoted general division by Leclerc before
1: yep Leclerc, absolutely.
0: Leclerc dies, so that's good. yep um, his next major assignment after you know getting back from that disaster uh, is assisting Marshal Marmont future Marshal Marmont in administering the newly acquired territory of Dalmatia in 1808 um, during which time Napoleon makes, a, makes him a grand officer in the Legion of Honor. Say what you want about Marmont the guy was a good
1: administrator don't you think yeah fantastic administrator i think a lot of that was it came from his training with the artillery mm-hmm. um, i think a lot of folks forget that he was trained as an artillerist uh, he handled the guns very well at marengo mm-hmm. um, arguably was a key element in in turning the tide of that battle but i think of uh, when i think back about the marshals in terms of their administrative ability. Um, I, I'm not sure that there would be one that, that, that might be better than Marmont, but I, I'm also a fan of Marmont as a military commander. I thought he did a fine job in 1813, uh, and uh, 1814. Yeah. He, yep. he had a good package of, of skills and abilities. Uh, ultimately, you know, we know his story. We probably he, need dwell on that, but yeah. But Um, I think
0: it's it's interesting that Clausel probably was taking, you know, he worked under Grouchy and Perignon and Marmont, and he's taking probably little things from each marshal, don't you think?
1: Yeah, and that was a strength, obviously, getting moved around to all of these different marshals and getting to see all of the different ways that that folks do things. And just that experience alone has got to be uh, fantastic. Mm -hmm, Indeed. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm?
0: Um, in 1809, he's transferred to the Pen- Peninsula War under Marshal Massena, who's one of the best at the time. But it wasn't going very well in Spain. Why was it so hard for French commanders to keep their, their track record intact and succeed in this war? Oh boy. Um <laughs> I know it's an open-ended question
1: there. We we could probably do multiple uh podcast episodes on just that. But so one of the greatest failings I think of the Napoleonic system and if we talk specifically of France is that it all worked great uh when Napoleon was in theater. So, mm-hmm. you know, the the marshals would support each other uh because Napoleon was there. But mm-hmm. when you get a situation where you know, Napoleon's in Paris and these guys are operating, uh, you know, in Andalusia or in Portugal or in Aragon or Galicia or wherever they are. Mm-hmm. Of course, they're, they're little islands unto themselves. Right. And, you know, a lot of these guys are petty and jealous and, uh, you know, irascible. Um, so Messina ends up with three core commanders for the invasion of Portugal. He's, mm-hmm. got, he's got the emperor's favorite, Ando Juno, he has the fiery Marshal Ney and he mm-hmm. has Renier and Clausewitz is one of the divisionals in Junot's corps. So right. these guys don't cooperate with each other. They don't really get along. Um, and, and even in, in moments of battle uh, in 1811 at Fuentes Donero, uh the Bezier, the, um, the, the Marshal could have, could have lent a, a great deal of help with, with Imperial cavalry, but wouldn't <laughs> help Messina out. Right. And, right soul right. wouldn't cooperate. And then you've got Jordan who advised Joseph, but nobody respected Jordan. Yeah. And Joseph wasn't a military leader. So it's just a mess. And that Napoleonic system breaks down without the the without the emperor right there riding herd over these people. Um right. they let their own petty jealousies get the better of them.
0: Yeah, and I was reading uh Charles Amon uh, yesterday in preparation for the call, and then in- You know, he and maybe some others said that, you know, he probably should have made Messina just overall commander in Spain, but then he would have been giving one of his marshals control over 200,000 troops. And maybe he didn't feel comfortable doing that, even though Messina wasn't really a a political animal.
1: Yeah. And and I don't think that would have made a difference ultimately. Um, So initially, the way Napoleon conceived it, the the emperor himself was going to go command that army that was going to invade Portugal and you know, with the ultimate aim of driving Wellington, uh, you know, uh, off the continent. But, you know, if you recall 1810, this is when he's dealing with his divorce. So he's, right. he's dealing with the divorce from Josephine, and he's trying to negotiate another imperial marriage to a princess of Europe somewhere who, who can bear some children, because mm-hmm. he, he'd he sired some, some illegitimate kids. So, you know, he knew he wasn't shooting blanks, and he wanted a, <laughs> an heir, so to right. speak. And he wanted an heir, and you know, so at first he thought maybe Alexander's sister, right. uh, that was the first choice, and then when that didn't pan out, he obviously married Marie Louise of, of Austria. But I think those those negotiations in 1810 took so much of his time, and he prioritized those, and then turned over command of the army uh, uh, of Portugal to uh, what I believe to be his most trusted marshal, and the one that he thought of all of them most capable of. of pulling this thing off. Yeah. After all Massena in 1809 uh, you know had had performed miracles at Wagram, you know fully engaged and then when it looks like the Austrians are going to outflank the left corps or the the left uh, flank of the the French army Napoleon orders uh Massena uh, to break contact and move his core down to to you know forestall that that in advance yeah that's really really tricky to do and and Massena still had it he'd been wounded he was in a carriage and still doing all this so i you know i think in napoleon's mind uh, Massena still had it going on but you know Massena was not the same general of 1796 1797 into 99 and you know it just it just didn't go well and clausel was part of that he was part of juno's eighth corps yeah Uh, and and well, you know that the news gets worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're coming.
0: We're coming up to that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so um, I'll let in, you lead us there.
0: Yeah. In 1810, he's made Baron of the Empire by Napoleon, which is great. Uh, but his greatest moment, or I guess, moment of infamy, comes two years later at the pivotal Battle of Salamanca.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, he's working under Marshal Marmont. Can you provide the story of Clausel's actions that? may have saved the French army in that battle?
1: Yeah, so this is a really unfortunate... Uh, you want to talk about a battlefield promotion. Uh, as soon as the battle... And Masterstroke by Wellington, he sees the French who are marching and they're strung out. They're not in a, really in a position where the divisions of uh, Marshal Marmont's army can, can support one another effectively. And so Wellington falls upon uh, the French army. And then almost immediately... Marmont is wounded and taken out of action. Mm-hmm. And then very, very shortly after that, uh, uh, General Bonnet, his second in command, was also wounded and and knocked out of knocked out of service. Mm-hmm. so Clausel, then, as the senior officer, uh, then has to take command of this army, which is in the process of getting absolutely eviscerated mm-hmm. uh, by Wellington. Um, and and Clausel directed several, counterattacks to try and foresaw disaster uh but mm-hmm. a, a disaster nevertheless was was there and and a combination of, of clausel at least keeping his head providing some sort of stuff and, and uh, general Foy, who i know you've covered um yeah covered the army well for that his division covered the the french retreat yeah um, i was reading
0: that for 30 minutes though when the first two guys went down nobody knew who was in command because you don't you don't plan on that in your head like all right what if the first two generals get killed or knocked out. Who's third in command? You know, I mean, maybe you do, but you don't plan on it every
1: day. Well, and and the French, God bless them, here were really caught flat-footed. And after, you know, several weeks to, close to a month, uh, you know, the Marmont had done pretty well here and outmaneuvered mm-hmm. Wellington on some occasions. And I think confidence in the French ranks was running pretty high. So mm-hmm. that the the fact that they had gotten surprised at all was. Uh, was a difficult thing to deal with. And then in quick succession to have your two commanders go down uh, and, you know, Wellington has undeservedly a reputation for being a, a defensive uh, general. So I, I don't think the French expected an attack. They certainly didn't there. They were caught flat. I mean, everything that could have gone wrong at that moment in time did go wrong. Right. Right. But at least, you know, Clausel did keep his head and it did organize some sort of resistance futile though it was and between he and Floyd that covered the retreat and uh, yeah you know. yeah it
0: could have been a lot worse though i think if he hadn't stepped in
1: yes absolutely yeah absolutely
0: um well he's eventually wounded um and he's sent back to france to recover from his wounds uh but is back at the spanish front under marshal Soult by january 1813 fighting at Ortez and toulouse right um Napoleon advocates in 1814, uh, April, 1814. And Clausel serves under the returning bourbon Royals.
1: Mm-hmm. But what
0: happens when Napoleon returns in 1815? Does Clausewitz flock back to Napoleon?
1: Yeah, actually he does. And he was a pretty enthusiastic, uh, um, Bonapartist. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, he ends up going right back to where he knows so well down in the Western Pyrenees. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, after the second abdication, um, <laughs> Clausel's in some trouble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like so many of those generals were uh, when they rallied to the Bonapartist cause after uh, during eighteen fifteen. Uh, you know, he's not in good graces with the restored uh, Bourbons, mm-hmm. uh, and Clausel actually goes to the United States and ah. uh, ends up living near Mobile, uh, and there was quite a um, oh yeah. I haven't really talked on this on my podcast yet. The
0: Olive and Vine Colony.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there was a colony near. All uh, oh, there was one in Alabama. It might have been called Elba, actually. Um, in Alabama, there was a. There were quite a few little, little, uh, lots of places where you know Bonapartists uh, fled and and resettled. So, mm-hmm. yep. Um, but he doesn't stay
0: there very long. Uh, when does he return to France? I know I believe he gets pardoned by the Bourbons at some point.
1: Yeah, there was a general uh, amnesty given, uh, and he returns to France in, in eighteen twenty. Okay, and then resumes uh, serving in in the in the French uh, in the French army, which of course now is the 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 you know Bourbon regime.
0: Right, and yep. um, it seems like his career kind of reignites during the kind of their colon, colonial expansion to Algeria, right?
1: Yeah. And, you know, before that, he was elected uh, to the, the Chamber of Deputies uh, between 1827 and 1830. So he did embark on a political career in mm-hmm. addition to his uh, mid- uh, military career. And then after the revolution in 1830, he resumes uh, military command. Yeah. And he
0: be- becomes Marshal of France in 1831. That must have been a pretty good feeling for him.
1: Well, I I think he probably thought it would have been just desserts after, you know, all the time and energy he had spent serving France. Um, And so he does, in fact, lead the invasion of Algeria, um, which was successful, at least initially. Mm -hmm. Um, There were a lot of politics uh, involved in that uh adventure in algeria and of course ever since really algeria has been a a difficult conversation uh for france sure. uh, in, in fact i was in france when i was doing dissertation research back in the 90s a lot of those algerian documents were just being released mm. and there was a lot of heartache and heartburn and things uh, relating to all things Algeria that's been a, a, a yeah it continues to be an issue uh, yeah. uh, for the French
0: yeah um, for sure but regarding Clauzel after several victories in Algeria he suffers a major loss at Constantine in 1836 and, and is recalled yeah um, he lives in retirement till his death in April of 1842 what do you think his legacy is because he it seems like he had a good career after Napoleon, and he had a good career during Napoleon. Um, yeah, just kind of a a long story military career. Don't you think? Yeah,
1: I I think he is regarded as a um, a solid officer, dependable. Um, what the French would call, you know, he has a lot of sangfroid. You know, he, he's cool under under pressure, um, and he certainly fought in the in the in the theaters where you know, there wasn't a lot of glory, um, right. Which is, you know, an enormous currency, uh, (laughs) for the French military. Uh, and I think he toiled and I think that's a fair word, uh, with some hard assignments and some hard posts and, uh, you know, some hard living. And anytime you have to go against, uh, Wellington, uh, you know, the, you're not beating up the bumblers of, of, uh, (laughs) You know, you're not facing the unfortunate General Mack in the, right. in the peninsula, yeah. uh, and you're not involved in in a, a serious colonial entanglements with with Algeria. So yeah. um, I, I know that he must have thought that that defeat in Constantine in 1836 would have really damaged his career. But I think, in general, especially a century and more uh, uh, removed from that. Uh, I think folks regard him as a solid, capable uh, officer.
0: Yeah, indeed, and um, I think those troops back in Salamanca probably owe him a debt of gratitude because it could have gone—it could have gone a lot worse.
1: It's hard uh, to imagine how it could have, but yes, you're <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> well. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to convey that the British didn't suffer casualties, too. There were some, you know, um, a good size loss on the British side as well. Yeah, they,
1: they were. it was a hard, it, it, well, I, I, I hesitate to even say it was a hard one victory. It was a complete victory. But at least Clausel maintained the presence of a French army from which they could build out from there. And, right. you know, there were still two more years of, of fighting to go before Mm. the the war ended and the the, you know british pushed themselves into southern france
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah. indeed
0: well thank you for that education on uh marshall clausel it was very interesting my friend uh
1: good stuff i appreciate it yeah no problem thanks for having me yeah and
0: again uh if you want to find charles on twitter it's bubbles the vampire and uh yeah great great talking to you again
1: appreciate it john thanks
0: thank you